0: Shut up, and sit down. Certainly there are unresolved plot lines at the end of the episode, but this episode almost works as sort of a short film. (laughs) Welcome to PopCraft, where we autopsy the screenplays behind your favorite films and TV shows. I'm your host, Carl Albert. In this episode, I'm bringing one of our new segments on Season 2 of PopCraft. A little segment I'm calling PopCraft Versus. So, the short of it is that I singularly am going to compare two works of television or film that are attempting to do similar things and uh, in sort of going through the way that they approach their craft, comparing w- what their goals are, but also where they succeed, where they fail. Now, ultimately, obviously, this is all subjective to an extent. So, uh, you know, don't take this as sort of an objective merit, but I am trying to judge these movies or shows by the same set of standards and so that is more or less my approach going forward and hopefully from this we'll be able to isolate specific approaches and storytelling philosophies that we can learn from. Now this first episode of Popcraft Versus is going to focus on two of the most hyped shows on television right now. Two shows that I'm actually really enjoying a lot, both of them, and that is Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and House of the Dragon. Both of these are, of course, prequels to, well, Rings of Power is a prequel to the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy, and House of the Dragon is a prequel to Game of Thrones. So needless to say, the fact that these are both epic fantasy stories, epic fantasy prequels set in secondary worlds, uh, their approach is, you know, even if different in sort of a tonal respect, which we'll touch on, they have a lot in common, and certainly they're trying to capture a lot of the same audience. And so we'll discuss their pilots specifically, and we'll analyze how they approach a pilot, what's the purpose of a pilot. We'll do it using the same set of standards to kind of dig down deep and to see each of their strengths, their weaknesses, and which one of them ultimately, in my opinion, is the stronger pilot episode. Now, there will be full spoilers for both pilots, but that's it. There will be no spoilers for any of the other episodes that have aired since then. There won't even be speculation about what will happen afterwards. I have read the source material for both shows, um, but there will not even be allusions to anything going on there. And there will possibly be allusions to the uh, original shows and movies that uh, set off, you know, that sparked the flame that led to these shows, if you will. So, we may discuss Game of Thrones very loosely, we may discuss Lord of the Rings very loosely, but that is it. There, again, there will be no mention of anything that happens in any other episodes of these TV shows. So, with that said, let's get into what exactly is the purpose of a pilot. Well, in the strictest terms, a pilot is sort of a test episode, right? And actually, neither of these shows had a pilot in the traditional sense of the word. I don't know exactly what the development process was for these shows. I believe they were both ordered straight to series, meaning they both got a full season order, if not uh, several season order in the case of Rings of Power. Uh, But a pilot traditionally, especially in network television, is meant to sell a TV show. It's sort of uh, a proof of concept You write an episode, you outline it, you get approval from the execs, you film the episode, and then if they think it's good enough, they'll then green light a certain number of episodes, possibly a whole season following it. Uh, But pilot is still used more generally just to refer to the first episode of a TV show. And even if it is not used as sort of a self-contained pitch, you could say, for the TV show, it is still kind of functioning the same way in that it is fundamentally selling the show, selling the world, selling the characters. And that's really... The focus of it all, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's pretty self explanatory that the first episode is going to have to introduce you to the main characters, introduce you to the world they're inhabiting, introduce you to the structure of the show at large and the tone of the show at large, right? Like, you're not going to have a very comedically focused pilot that then veers into like really dark tragedy and drama in later episodes. That's not the purpose of the pilot. The pilot is going to give you an idea of what the whole show will look like going forward. And certainly, I think both Rings of Power and House of the Dragon do this very conventionally, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They just they pitch you exactly the show you're getting going forward, and uh, they both do it very well. Now, of course, going off of that, in the, in the, with the notion of selling a show, you're not just selling the show to executives, you're also selling the show to an audience. That means having a hook. Every pilot inevitably ends with some big hook that will bring viewers back for episode two and beyond. And so we will absolutely discuss the hooks of uh, each of these shows, each of these pilots. But we're also very specifically going to approach this by categories. And hook is one of the categories, but we're also gonna talk about characters, we're gonna talk about structure, we're gonna talk about tone, as I mentioned, and we're gonna talk about the dramatic question. So first off, jumping into these shows i want to discuss how they open up their stories and i uh they both do something very similar they actually have very similar approaches to how they open uh their pilot episodes and they do something that, that is fairly traditional for secondary world big epic fantasy stories the lord of the rings movies did it game of thrones actually famously did not do it what that is is a voiceover sort of prologue you know you think of a lot of fantasy novels have prologues that kind of intro you to the world and that's how these voiceover prologues in the tv shows work right that you have a specific character in the case of rings of power it's galadriel in the case of house of the dragon it's Rhaenyra, who are both the main characters and actually have a lot of parallels a lot of similarities between them but both of them give a little voiceover as we see very striking epic grand visuals that give you a sense of the scale of the stories that are about to be told the epic world building and uh, the tone of the show as well and as they do this you know they kind of describe the setup for their separate storylines uh, they help bring the audience into the world to have a foundation upon which to build the rest of the show right They do some basic world building and hopefully have some striking visuals along the way to kind of make the audience lean forward in their seat a bit. So in the case of the Rings of Power, what the prologue, this introductory voiceover is really focusing on and the foundation it's really establishing is the war against Sauron and the fact that we've just finished this big war against an even greater Dark Lord, Morgoth, the world is recovering, but it is at peacetime. And yet our hero, Gladriel, cannot let the fear of Sauron in her own anger and search for vengeance uh, because Sauron killed her brother, or an agent of Sauron, rather, killed her brother, Finrod. And so it really establishes the stakes of the show, the, the inciting incident, really, which is the death of the brother and Gladriel taking up his oath to hunt down Sauron and which ultimately you know, is sort of the foundation upon which the rest of the show will be built. And then with House House of the Dragon, the show tells us immediately, this is a show about the Targaryens and not just about the Targaryens, it's about a Targaryen civil war. It's about how the House of the Dragon, that House of Targaryen tore itself apart. And so you see the political drama that led to that, which was the King Jaehaerys, the old King Jaehaerys. He had a great council at Harrenhal where he decided between two heirs he had all the lords of the realm come and vote between two heirs the male Viserys who was actually further down in the line of succession and Rhaenys who had probably arguably you know discounting their sex a better claim to the throne but because she was a woman she was not made queen Uh, it was supposedly an overwhelming vote against Rhaenys and for Viserys and so it establishes really the succession crisis that immediately, you know, this question of who will sit the Iron Throne is the focus of the show, who will be in charge of the Targaryen d- dynasty, and it also promotes, you know, or not promotes in sort of a positive sense, but it, it reveals the theming and the drama of the patriarchy, right? The, the patriarchy is fighting any woman's ascension at any level, but certainly at the core of it, a woman's ascension to the Iron Throne which will, of course, parallel uh, with the end of the episode, but we'll get to that in just a second. Coming out of this, I want to talk a little bit, coming out of the prologue, I want to talk a little bit about the mice quotient. Now, this is a thing uh, I believe created by the sci-fi fantasy author Mary Robinette Kowal. You should go uh, check her out. She can talk about it in detail on the podcast Writing Excuses. It's one of the uh, writing podcasts I listen to, it's a great resource, has a lot of wonderful writers uh, from a lot of different mediums, although primarily novel writing and short story writing. And uh, Mary Robinette Kowal has several episodes where she explains the mice quotient. Now, for the sake of this show, because I think it really, you can really pull out the mice quotient and see its use in uh, House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, their pilot episodes. And I, I, I want to discuss it here. And so to define it, MICE is an acronym that stands for milieu, inquiry, character, and event, right? And so the idea is the MICE quotient is an idea about how you structure your show. So like is, or your your story, is your story focused on a milieu or a place, you know, is it centered around a place? Is your storyline centered around a location inquiry? Is it centered around a mystery, an investigation, that sort of thing? Is it centered around a character, so a character's journey, a character's emotional arc, and how they're going to change or or not change, fail to change as a person? Or is it centered around an event? Is it centered around a singular event that sets off everything that goes on? And the idea is that it's really, the MICE Quotient is about pacing and structure, first and foremost. So, of course, a lot of stories have multiple storylines, they have subplots, And the idea is that you can fit any given plot or subplot into one of the mice quotients, right? Everyone is either a milieu based around a location, an inquiry based around investigation, a character based around a character's emotional journey or event based around a big event. Uh, You know, you almost could think of it like sort of a, a big plot event and that the most Ideal, the most satisfying way to structure a story is to keep those in mind. And the way that you seed these individual storylines uh, is keeping that in mind. So that if you start with a character storyline, you want to end the very last scenes of your story should end with that character storyline. Where you see these individual structures, and I think this will become clearer what I'm saying as we discuss House of the Dragon and Rings of Power specifically. But where you seed them, you don't want to like put them out of order per se. So, if you start with a character story, you want to end with a character story. You don't want to start with a character story and end with an event story, right? Or you don't want to resolve the character story before you resolve the event story, right? If you have these two, if, if you have the first scene establishes your character is flawed and needs to grow, and then you have a murder investigation set off, right? You don't want the character's journey, their emotional arc to end before the inquiry, into the murder investigation ends right because otherwise it'll feel sort of padded out like just something in the viewer or the reader will subconsciously they'll get a sense that like mm, that's not quite right and of course you can debate uh, whether or not this is valid for every story every story is different but it is a really interesting way I think to approach storytelling and structuring your story and making it so that you know what you start with is ultimately what you end with and kind of maximizing the satisfaction in the audience So with what this looks like specifically with Rings of Power is Rings of Power starts with character. We start with this scene not actually of huge world building, uh, but of Galadriel as a little girl building a boat and basically being bullied and her getting into a fight. And so we establish that she is a dreamer, but she also has anger issues and she reacts to adversity with violence, uh, with violence and sort of out of this darkness inside of her. And the end of Rings of Power actually does not end with Galadriel. This was actually something that, uh, in hindsight, kind of caught me by surprise. I, I, for some reason, had it in my head that the episode ends with Galadriel choosing not to go to Valinor and swimming away. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Like, it's kind of uh, starting with Galadriel's character flaw and ending with her character flaw and how that's affecting the story going forward. But actually, it ends with the stranger, the meteor man, you know, the big flaming comet flying down and striking the ground. And it's this big hook, this big event uh, that will theoretically uh, set off the rest of the show in a lot of ways. And so again, the idea is that, you know, you open with this character scene of Galadriel that just focuses on her flaws. not really, it doesn't open up an inquiry. It doesn't open up an event that'll affect the story going forward. It doesn't Uh, open up a milieu, a location that the story will be based around. It opens up with a character and their flaw. And so the idea is theoretically the best way to parallel that, the best way to structure the episode would be to end with Galadriel swimming away from Valinor, you know, leaning into her flaw and accepting that she cannot accept her peace, that she has to continue on her quest of vengeance at all costs. House the Dragon, however, does structure it in a classic mice quotient. So you open up with an event, you open up with who will succeed Jaharis? It's it's actually kind of told at a distance even. It's interesting. It's not a very like personal voiceover like Gladriel's is. It is about you know who will succeed Jaharis on the Iron Throne, and it's not going to be the woman. And you know the lords don't want a woman on the Iron Throne. And you end the episode with Rhaenyra being crowned by her father Viserys as his heir. Rhaenyra now this young woman is made heir to the Iron Throne. So it begins with an event and it ends with an event. And you can see that parallel, right? So you are introduced ultimately to Rhaenyra and introduced to her character flaws, and you see that kind of develop throughout the episode. But really, the show structures its entire pilot episode around the notion of who will succeed to the Iron Throne. And that in and of itself is really compelling and interesting. And I think the right approach... Because that's the basis of the whole show. That's the question of the whole show. Who will ascend to the Iron Throne, right? Can Rhaenyra peacefully, no, ascend to the Iron Throne? Will Rhaenyra manage to secure the throne and hold it for herself? While Rings of Power is a little more confused, where this entire episode has focused on Galadriel and her inability to let soron go, and certainly her inability to let Sauron go is tied into the inquiry, right, of where is Sauron, who is Sauron, uh, where can I find him, how can I defeat him, and so you do end with a thing that does tie into the inquiry of where is Sauron, of this flaming meteor coming down and exploding, and you know, the question is, is that Sauron? It certainly looks like a fiery eye. Is it a red herring? I'm not going to comment one way or another. My point is not to theory craft here, uh, but just to say that they sidestepped, the writers sidestepped, did not use the Mice Quotient. I mean, I very much doubt that they're even aware of it. It's kind of a, a niche theory um, proposed again by the author Mary Robinette Kowal, who, again, I recommend you all go check out. I mean, really, this podcast is just becoming me plugging other podcasts. And so in that way, I actually find that House the Dragon's approach is maybe a little stronger, where it feels a little more cohesive. You know, Rings of Power does have that interesting hook of like, who the fuck is the guy in the meteor? Like, what's going on there? That's certainly a classic hook for the end of the episode. And so, you know, I think we can move into hook then. That That, that is cool, right? Like, it certainly opens up a question. Uh, it actually opens up a whole nother inquiry that ties into the Sauron inquiry where it's like, well, who is this meteor man? What What is his purpose? Is he good? Is he bad? And that's certainly something that the show plays with going forward. While House of the Dragon is much more focused And actually, uh, this is something, a consistent theme you'll see, is that House of the Dragon is very focused in its storytelling. It is confined to specific locations. It is confined to a smaller cast, fewer storylines, fewer subplots in this pilot episode, and in my opinion, is ultimately stronger for it. Rings of Power, while still compelling in its own right, is much more all over the place, is really focusing primarily on establishing a sense of scope, a sense of, uh, of, of scale, and really trying to throw as many things they can at the audience to hook them, to have at least one of these things hook the audience. And to me, it, it, that does wreak a bit of insecurity with the storytelling, you know, that being nervous that maybe the audience uh, won't be as committed to Galadriel as a main character, that you want to like give them this, this wide Birth, this uh, rather this wide breadth of storylines um, maybe it's not insecurity maybe it's just you know a general approach that which is valid on its own again uh, but it does kind of create some pacing issues house of the dragon if you've seen the episode you know it, it really is all about the succession it's all about who will succeed viserys on the throne he's trying to have a son he's celebrating his son's birth with a tournament and ultimately the birth goes wrong and the son and his wife die. He's having no more heirs, uh, at least theoretically in this episode. And so he chooses Rhaenyra, even though she's a girl and the, you know, the question of who will ascend the iron throne is answered at the end of this episode. You know, you can almost think that certainly there are unresolved plot lines at the end of the episode, but this episode almost works as sort of a short film while rings of power is very much incomplete in its pilot. And that's, I think, why I like House of the Dragons pilot a little more, is it, it, it feels cohesive. It feels like it tells a complete story. It has a complete arc, which I think is a really strong way to approach uh, a pilot. And actually, Rings of Power does it to an extent where Galadriel, you know, you, you see the, the end of her quest for Sauron. Everyone is telling her, Galadriel, you have to stop. You have to stop searching for Sauron. The war is over. Just rest. You've earned your rest the episode ends with her being given an opportunity to literally go to heaven, to go to Valinor, and she refuses it because she can't let go of this darkness inside of her. She can't let go of her need for vengeance. But they're also throwing out other plot lines. Like, they have uh, this subplot in the Southlands about orcs rising up and evil, and it, and it, it ties in, certainly. Like, none of these things are completely disconnected. I think you can see the seeds of how they'll all come together in later episodes. But it doesn't necessarily, it just makes it feel a little more scattershot, right? And then ending, you know, you you have scenes with the Hobbits that are really disconnected from everything entirely. Uh, It makes it harder to invest in the Hobbit storyline, I think, for a lot of people, Um, just because, you know, you have the mystery of who's this stranger, is he Sauron, Um, but that's like the extent of its connection to the rest of the story that we see, at least so far. I think the idea is ultimately a lot of this stuff will pay off, at the end of the season and throughout the show in general, but it does make the pilot itself a little bit weaker, feel a little more scattershot. The pacing is a little slower because you keep cutting between different locations, different storylines. While House of the Dragon is much more focused, is really focused on, you know, the family drama and the question, the dramatic question of the entire show, which is can Rhaenyra overcome this patriarchal system and secure her claim to the Iron Throne? While Rings of Power's dramatic question is sort of broader and it is, well, it's, it's actually not broader in a way, it's more specific, but it's, can Galadriel overcome the darkness within herself, right? That's the dramatic question posed by the opening uh, and by, you know, sort of her storyline. But then there's also the, you know, will they defeat Sauron, who is Sauron, all of that. I do want to talk about, you know, we talked about pacing and how Rings of Power is, is more scattered than House of the Dragon, and I do kind of want to talk about, you know, maybe why they would do that beyond just like I, I put forward the, the notion of maybe some insecurity, which is maybe unfair. It also really is about establishing a wider scope, right? It really makes Rings of Power feel like a truly epic fantasy from the get go. And, and you could say that, you know, honestly, to House of Dragons detriment, it's really contained at King's Landing in the first episode. You know, it does make it feel a bit less epic. Game of Thrones did a similar thing where it opened with Winterfell. Actually, Lord of the Rings did a similar thing where it just focused in the Shire and with the Hobbits, largely. Um, So I, I tend to think that the better approach is focusing on a specific sort of environment and characters, at least for like, you know, not forever, but like for your sort of opening chapters to really get the audience hooked, to get the pacing going and then expand from there through the characters POVs. So, you know, they leave, the Starks in the original Game of Thrones leave Winterfell and as they spread out, we start to see the wider world get introduced to more characters. Likewise, in Lord of the Rings, as the hobbits leave the Shire, we, you know, we meet Strider, we meet Gimli and Legolas, the elves, and so we see the wider world and so we start being able to cut between the different storylines. And things just feel really paced really naturally that way. Or Rings of Power is like giving us all these different storylines all over the map all at once. And, you know, that's a valid approach because, again, it does make the world seem larger from the get-go. It does plant seeds for a coalescing of stories at the end of it all. You know, it certainly could be very dramatic and compelling if, you know, at the end of the season, everything kind of fits together. And you're like, oh, that's what they were planting, you know, seeds for. So it's not without its own merits, certainly. But it is a little bit... Messier, at least as far as a pilot goes And again, we're discussing a pilot episode Specifically Uh, But also, you know, what Rings of Power really spends A lot of time in By having all these different locations And even just in the way the shots are composed And the way the scenes Are composed is, you know, it is slower Pace, but a big part of the Slower pacing is to really get us immersed in the Environment, to get us immersed in the world And like literally nature Right, that's such a big theme of Tolkien's writings is the beauty of nature and, you know, why it's worth fighting for, why it's worth protecting, and the power of beauty. So we spend a lot of time just literally in the natural environment, literally just seeing the world and the beauty of this world. While in House of the Dragon, everything is much more backstabbing, brutality, you know, there are several scenes that ultimately have minimal impact on the plot, but are there to be like, oh... This is fucking brutal. This is the Game of Thrones world, you know. This is Westeros, you know. And to shock the audience, you know. That is a big part of House of the Dragon, which, you know, I will admit as someone who leans towards darker stories a lot of the time, it certainly appeals to me to see, you know, oh, look at this character who's capable of this great brutality. You know, look at this horrible death this woman suffered like really not like strain away from displaying just how horribly violent the world can be. And so you really understand the visceral nature of the stakes of the storyline. Well, Rings of Power is the stakes are so much built into the world itself, right? That it's so focused on literally the environment, which is very true to the themes that they're playing with of the source material of Tolkien, right? And so it's just different approaches. And certainly, you know, you may prefer one to the other. Now, with that said, uh, we can kind of discuss the tone a bit, you know. Hot D, as George R. R. Martin likes to talk about, we all got to get this hot D is it's a darker show it's a brutal show but it's also a family drama and that leans into the way they approach the structure of the show you know the fact that it's that first episode is focused more on king's landing with literally focused on like the targaryen extended family right is it's a family drama at its core it's a shakespearean tragedy it's all about this fucked up family fucking themselves over right while rings of power is melancholy and you do see that with, you know, the war against Morgoth and all of the elves that died and and there, there's a melancholy nature to the storytelling, which is true to Lord of the Rings and the fading of the world, the fading of the elves. But there's also a hopefulness and a, a sense of adventure, right? You know, I think when people think of Lord of the Rings, they think of an adventure story first and foremost. And that's certainly true of Rings of Power, where you you see these characters adventuring, they're traveling all over the map. You know, that's part of the benefit of the the scope and the scale of it, is you get this sense of this grand adventure that we're beginning on, giving us this idea of sort of this mythic atmosphere, that things maybe aren't as grounded, but that that is the story it's telling, right? It's telling this grand myth. So it really gives us a, a sense for, you know, just how large the story is going to get going forward. Like, even just speculating you know although certainly i've read the source material but it has the dragon you know certainly is still going to be epic but will ultimately be at its core a family drama right while rings of power is ultimately at its core a war against darkness right a literal like embodiment of darkness now maybe the show will do things and has done things to kind of develop the darkness and add depth to it but at, at its core it's mythic it's elemental it's about good versus evil this just very larger-than-life symbolic war, right? This very, like, Christianized sense of war. And so you really see that in the tone and how that impacts the structure and how all of this plays off together, right? And even, you know, with their approach, the mice Quotient, it actually is interesting. Now that I say that, I do think you almost would expect with uh, as focused a family drama as House the Dragon that you would almost think it would open with character and end with character, but it doesn't, right? It, it does have that event to open and event to end. And certainly characters are caught up in that, but it really is the event itself that is the story driver, right? The coronation, or rather not the coronation, but uh, the naming of the heir, <laughs> Rings of Power, which is ultimately much more about sort of the, the, these broad events and these inquiries does actually open uh, with a very character-focused, a very quiet opening. It's interesting. And, and, you know, I think there is something to be said for maybe that wasn't the right approach. You know, maybe, you know, you think of the Lord of the Rings prologue and how it's not character-driven at all. You have these characters, but it's really about the war against Sauron and establishing the creation of the Rings of Power. And the One Ring, uh, very specifically. While Rings of Power really wants you to care about Galadriel and to hone in on Galadriel's character... Uh, And certainly, you know, that's really the basis around which they're trying to hook you. I've long been searching for the perfect screenwriting software for me. And recently I came across Arc Studio Pro, which was the software used by the writers of the hit Netflix series Arcane, which we covered on a recent episode of PopCraft Screenwriting. Now I'm happy to announce That ARC Studio is sponsoring this episode of PopCraft Screenwriting. ARC Studio understands how screenwriters think. They've created screenwriting software that doesn't distract with an overloaded interface. You can say goodbye to archaic screenwriting software and hello to advanced story building features. It'll automatically format your script to the industry standard and it provides stress-free collaboration tools that are as easy to use as Google Docs. Now I mentioned that this software is already used by the writers of Arcane, but that's also true of the writer director for Wet Hot American Summer and Role Models. So join them and the thousands of screenwriters who have already made the leap. Arc Studio now is offering a completely free plan, but you can also get $30 off the pro plan if you visit the link in the show notes below, or just go ahead and type into your browser arcstudiopro.com popcraft. Again, that's arcstudiopro.com popcraft. Check it out. Going off of the notion of Gladriel as uh, our leading lady, as our very character-focused opening to Rings of Power, let's discuss the characters. So at the end of the day, while both shows, you know, they have their own approach, they have their own Mice Quotient, you know, I think as a lot of the best stories are, they're both character-driven, and Gladriel certainly drives a lot of the events in the show, Uh, Just like Rhaenyra drives a lot of the events, and and the ensemble cast drives a lot of the events, their decision making drives the events, right? And we have uh, this really interesting parallel between these two pilots, is they're not just both sort of prologues, prequels rather, to these more mainstream, better known, grander, epic fantasy stories... The characters themselves have a lot of parallels, which I thought was really interesting. That Galadriel and Rhaenyra, you know, I don't know if this says something about the time we're living in or anything like that. I'm not going to try to analyze that too much. But Galadriel and Rhaenyra are both these really hot-headed, fiery women who are really not happy with their lot in life. with where, you know, the the sort of the situation they're in. And, and it's admittedly very different dissatisfaction. Galadriel just feels like a sense of melancholy that she thinks will show cure by killing Sauron, while Rainier is much more like, I hate that I'm a woman in this patriarchal world. Which ties into the themes, you can obviously see. Their, their character arcs are just the core of this, their stories, and which is why, you know, it's character-driven, is their arcs themselves are driving so much of the stories, right? And if you're confused about how the mice quotient like, ties in, like, again, you can have character arcs within, you know, the, the broader mice quotient. So, like, again, Rainier can have a character arc within... The event seating at the end and in the beginning of the episode. Uh, another parallel is Gilgalad in Rings of Power and Viserys in House the Dragon, who are these kings who basically challenge our female leads, who want them to almost be, you know, more passive. They want them to be happier. They want them to just like take a chill pill, basically. And this really comes in like into focus in later episodes with Viserys and Rhaenyra's dynamic um so it is a little less obvious in the pilot I will say but it's interesting that you have these these kings specifically who are trying to bring the women down and to to like help them find some sense of peace even if it's not necessarily in the best uh, approach and then you have Elrond and Daemon who are sort of the like I I say that and I say they're parallels and you're like what the fuck are you talking about like they're couldn't be more different and certainly that's true of like their personalities and their values and i think it gets like kind of the core of the tones of both of the shows with these characters but they exist to be this primary positive relationship uh for the characters this these male figures that our female leads bounce off of with whom they have a long and storied relationship and these characters kind of challenge are female leads right that they encourage their growth in a lot of ways the way they're de- developing and Elrond is trying so desperately to get Gladriel to find peace with her station to let the war go to move on and Damon, uh, really frankly encourages a lot of uh Rhaenyra's bad behaviors that he's really there to kind of almost be a a, a seducer uh almost a satanic figure, you could say, in a lot of ways. And I just, I think it's interesting that sort of the parallels and the way that they kind of are symbols of their shows and what their shows are ultimately about, and particularly the parallels between Galadriel and Rhaenyra, and just the types of personalities they have, really. Now, going off of all this and talking about Elrond and Daemon and, and how these characters interact and sort of how our main characters are confronted and the adversity they face, I do think something, and this is going to get a little bit out of, you, you could argue it's hook or structure, um, if we're going to put it under a category, but I think one of the weaknesses of Rings of Power's opening episode, you know, it, it's definitely slower paced, and I talked about a lot of why that is, about all the different storylines and that cutting between them kind of can halt the pacing of individual storylines so we don't build a lot of momentum right Beyond that, it also has a lot of repetitive beats. And so I talked about how Elrond is trying to get Galadriel to move on. And there are like three separate scenes. And they're not like short scenes of Elrond basically being like, Galadriel, I love you, but you need to take a chill pill. And Galadriel being like, bitch, I'm crazy. I can't take a chill pill. I'm going to fucking stab somebody. It's just who I am. They're really repetitive beats. like It really is talking about the same thing in very similar ways. You know, last episode with Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, Naomi and I, my guest, talked about how Everything Everywhere All at Once kind of advances the same conversation thematically, but is always talking about different things. While I feel like Galadriel and Elrond are often talking about the same thing, they're often saying essentially the same thing, even if the phrasing is not exactly the same, which is Galadriel, the war is over, you need to let it go and it's just that like it's just like you you have to stop and <laughs> Galadriel just being unable to and just essentially saying no the darkness is out there I know that for a fact I can't believe no one else believes me and so that messes with the pacing too right where if the beats feel repetitive it's going to kind of feel like the story grinds to a stop you know the audience isn't even going to be Consciously aware of it, probably. It's going to affect them subconsciously that they're like, oh, we've seen this conversation before. Like, this conversation is bringing nothing new to the table. You know, the extent to which Al kind of changes the course of conversation is by being like, hey, if you go to Valinor and Galadriel, I will, and, and I find Sauron, I will personally make sure that he is defeated. And that is the extent of the differences, right? Like you have the scene where Galadriel is invited to go to Valinor and then you have a scene discussing it and like another scene discussing it. It just, it, it ends up playing off in a very repetitive fashion. While House the Dragon, every individual conversation is different. And some of the conversations don't even actually drive the story forward a lot, but reveal character and reveal new facets of the characters. So like the conversations with Elrond and Galadriel reveal nothing new. They're the same conversation, repeated ad nauseum, while, and, and they're great scenes with like, great dialogue, but they're just repetitive, right? Like, you you could cut them or approach them differently, find a way to, like, twist the conversations, right, into going in a new direction. Well, House of the Dragon, you know, Emma Aaron, the queen, is a character who only exists in the episode. She dies in the pilot, but every scene she has reveals something new about her, whether it's... When she's talking to Rhaenyra and being like, you know, in her introductory scene, Emma's introductory scene, where she shows, you know, she's at peace with her lot in life as being a queen, as being a mother, as being someone who has to produce these heirs. And she's teaching Rhaenyra well. And she loves Rhaenyra, but she's teaching her, you know, you have to act like this. You have to be like this. Grow up. Or the later scene with her and Viserys, where, again, reveals that they love each other very much. But it also reveals that Emma has agency she takes agency she is like this is the last kid i'm gonna have i can't do it anymore i can't watch any other babies die this is it viserys and so it forwards her character it forwards the story right and then ultimately it all pays off tragically where she dies giving birth in a horribly botched medieval c-section she dies she's not given agency there it actually is taken away from her uh, in a way that I think really speaks the theme to themes of the story, where Viserys makes a decision. No one consults Emma. No one asks Emma, Are you okay if we cut you open? You're definitely going to die either way. Are you okay if we cut you open to try and save the child? She's not asked that. She's not given the choice. And it's brutal and it pays off a lot of the conversations that she's had because all of her conversations so far have been about giving birth and about really her role as a mother and a queen. And it just perfectly advances that storyline, right? You see that. And that's really true throughout the entire show. You know, we don't have a lot of repetitive small council scenes where they're just talking about the war in the Stepstones and how it's just, you know, it's there and we need to do something. No, we're not going to do something. Yes, we should. No, we're not. You know, it's every scene kind of has a new twist, a new approach, a new, you know, action is taken. The story advances. The characters are revealed in a new way and ultimately it makes the pacing of the episode feel really just strong i suppose you could say i don't necessarily think it's it's fast paced uh, i don't think it's slow either i think it kind of finds this nice goldilocks zone uh, that makes it ultimately house the dragon in my opinion a stronger pilot it's just everything is cohesive it perfectly structures it where you open and end with the same thing essentially at two different times that both hit on the dramatic question can this patriarchal system be overcome can rhaenyra overcome it and ascend to the iron throne While rings of power is more scattershot it is trying to establish so many different plot lines that it loses focus of what the story is really about and you know i think you could debate it right like i said the dramatic question is really can Gal- galadriel overcome the darkness within herself but I think we'll have to see there's a five-season plan if, if that really is the story. You know, is her story arc going to last over the five seasons? I suspect yes. I suspect we'll probably end the show with her uh, having become Kate Blanchett, basically. But we'll, you know, we'll see. And yet, you know, it's also trying to pose like, well, where is Sauron? Who is Sauron? Oh, is Sauron this meteor guy? Is Sauron in the Southlands? Where is Sauron? And it just creates a more unfocused, uh, a more slowly paced episode that, well, while still compelling, like I, I still enjoyed the first episode. I definitely found that Rings of Power took several episodes for me to really get hooked in. It took, you know, for momentum to build, for the characters to reveal themselves more before I was really hooked, while House of the Dragon really had me in that first episode. Admittedly, because of some of the shock value, and as I said, I definitely, I like how fucked up the story gets um but that's just me that's my messed up brain but also i i it just really is a focused story and it knows that you know we if we start focused we can expand from there we can give the audience the epic scale they want but we just need to start with what the score the what the core of the story is about and that is this question of can the patriarchy be beaten now i think you know if you've seen game of thrones you kind of know the answer to that question uh, I I don't think it's a again I mean this is a tragedy this is a Shakespearean tragedy I, I think it's very clear kind of what the general arc of the story is going to be without you know clarifying anything there, and rings of power likewise you know we kind of know where this all goes we know, we know Sauron is not gone and that the rings of power are going to be forged and there will be another war, which again is, is sort of the interesting notion of these both of these uh, prequels they have these bombs under the table right to get back to sort of Alfred Hitchcock's idea of suspense that like the audience knows the bomb under the table they know where the story is going right they know that House Targaryen falls ultimately uh they even structure it with like talking about you know this takes place x number of years before Daenerys Targaryen the last Targaryen effectively and rings of power is like of course they know going into it you know you know what the one ring is You know that Lord of the Rings is about destroying the One Ring, and that Soren creates these rings and fucks up Middle Earth. And so it's interesting, again, that like you could say that most prequels operate off that, and I certainly think that's true, but I I do think that probably the strongest prequels operate off a notion of tragedy often, uh, a notion of dramatic irony that, you know, the audience knows what's gonna happen, but the characters don't. And it's watching them struggle and fail. Um, and the question of, you know, exactly how does everything fall apart, and I think that's what we're going to see going forward in both shows, which I'm really excited to see. I encourage everyone to see them. uh, They're both entertaining in their own right. I am probably a little partial to House of the Dragon at this point, but again, a lot of that is just my own preference for darker stories and more dragons, admittedly, too. I'm a big dragon guy. Anyway, thank you for listening. Please reach out if you have any questions about the Mice Quotient. Go check out Writing excuses. They have very specific episodes focusing on each aspect of the mice quotient, milieu, inquiry, character, event. Don't forget to leave a review. Please follow this podcast wherever you listen to it. Consider donating to Patreon. Remember to check out the link to Arc Studio Pro. It's in the liner notes below. Have a great time, everyone. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode and another new segment. Until then, I've been your host, Carl Albert, and this was Pop Crap.